to be here tonight. Yeah, I can't do an Olaf voice or anything, but um, as, as uh, we, we saw this morning, I'm really bad at object lessons, and uh, I like really stupid ones because that's what sticks in your head, right? And so, uh, so how do I feel about my pen? Love I love this pen, all right? But what am I going to do with this, this pen when I get done with it, when the ink runs out? <laughs> I was like, they sell refills. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw it away, and I'm going to get another pen. So the object lesson that we can remember about that anytime that we look at something and say, oh, I love that. Oh, I, that's my favorite. I absolutely love that. Is that how we think about our relationship with God? Oh, I, I love God. I, I love God. And, uh, you know, when, when I need him, I'll ask him to be there for me. But when, I'm, when I don't, I'll just, you know, toss him aside and come back and pick him up again later. Is that how we truly love uh, the God who gave his life for us? Tonight we're going to be looking at something a little bit different. Uh, it's uh, actually something, oh, let me get my notes uncovered here, uh, actually something that I'm very excited that we have so many young people uh, in the room for uh, as we start here tonight, uh, because I actually have something for you guys first, all right? And Jenny's like, oh no, that's right. But really, all of this is for all of us. So there's a time that we'll talk specifically to the young people and their responsibility, but at the same time, we all have the exact same responsibility just to other people, not necessarily just to our parents or to, to uh, the teachers that God's put into our lives. So we're going to talk about Olaf, all right? This isn't a message about Frozen or Frozen 2 or anything uh, in that. But the thing, that's really, the thing that's really special about Olaf is, uh, well, I mean, he's, he's broken. But Olaf is, in fact, a piggy bank. Right. And this is our object lesson that we have tonight. I brought with us Ellie's piggy bank that she has at home. And, and you know what is what is the value of a piggy bank? It's whatever you put into it, right? I mean, on the shelf, I don't remember what this thing cost, $4.95 or something like that. Um, on the shelf, that was the value of it. But Olaf's net worth today is a little bit more than that. And we're going to talk about how we can get the most investment into the things that we're supposed to be investing into. You know, God's Word is actually pretty clear about the fact that we should be investing, just like we tell our kids, to save their pennies. Well, in our house, it's not really our kids saving their pennies. What it is is our kids finding our change that we've taken out of our pocket and put down. You know, And they're like, look, Daddy, I got money. And you go back to the bedside table and you're like, Ellie, where'd you get your money? You know, and and so, um, but but God's word actually has some stuff for us. Now, first off, we'll, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and, and explain the object lesson a little bit right here. Olaf pictures our kids. All right, sounds really horrible actually, but oh, so for the kids, here's what we have first. Did you know, young people, that you have a responsibility for your own life. You know, we, we live in a world that teaches us that we shouldn't really have any personal responsibility. We don't, we shouldn't really, I mean, you're just a product of your environment. You know, when, when I get to, you know, when I, when I graduate from college with a degree in French art history and I can't get a job anywhere, it's the world's fault, not mine, All right? That's what we're taught because we, we grow up in a, in a nation 
that there's an American dream. You can do whatever you want. And there are certain aspects to that that are good and encouraging, and there's actually some biblical principles behind working hard and being diligent. But young people, you have a responsibility. We're not going to look there. Uh, the, the verse I want for you guys to look at is Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. This is a verse that I think every young person needs to have marked, memorized in the Bible, print it out, put it on your mirror so when you get up and you brush your teeth in the morning and at night because you should be doing it twice a day, right? I'm just talking to the kids now, adults. We know better than that, right? right? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 Here's the context for the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. The guy who has done more in his life than any of us will ever do in our lifetimes. Solomon had all the money in the world. He had all the fame, all the popularity. He had pretty much anything he wants. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, he actually says, if my eye desire it, desired it, I got it. In modern day, if he was driving down 95 and a Ferrari drove by him. He was like, I want one of those. Hey, deliver a Ferrari to my mansion and it would be there. That's, Sol- that's what Solomon did. He had all the joys, all the pleasures, everything that you could think of in life. And at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, which is really his memoirs written to us at an admonition to learn from his mistakes. Solomon says, hey, let me just boil it down to you. I've I've had riches, I've had highs, I've had lows, all of that. Here it is. Let us hear the conclusion. What's the conclusion of something? It's the end of it. It's it's the wrap-up statement. All right, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We talked about this morning... If you love God, and my wife pointed out to me, as I, I made a big point about, like, I, I have to work hard to make sure that all of these, that I say all of these points this morning in question form. She goes, and then the last two, you didn't. And I was like, oh. So the last statement that we had on our quiz this morning of four questions of do we love God is if you love God, do you delight in obeying and serving him? Solomon actually says that's the whole point of what we're here for. The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. So kids, you have some responsibility. You need to learn about God. You need to learn to obey God. But where do I do that? How do I do that? Boy, I think it's really neat. The same guy who wrote Proverbs wrote a book called, you know, man, I gave it away. The same guy who wrote Ecclesiastes wrote another book. Can anybody tell me what other book it was? Song of Solomon. Thanks, John. Thanks for ruining the whole thing. Yeah. He wrote the book of Proverbs, at least the majority of the book of Proverbs. And I think it's really interesting. As you start the book of Proverbs, what does Solomon continually say? Proverbs chapters 1 through 7 Every one of them says, my son. Oh, wait, so he's now teaching someone who has a responsibility to learn. My son, hear the instruction of your mother. Hear the instruction of your father. Several times throughout the first two or three chapters of Proverbs, we hear this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So, kids, 
what's your responsibility in growing up to be the most valuable piggy bank you can be? You have to listen. When somebody is trying to teach you, when somebody is trying to instruct you in a way that would say, hey, this is how you need to act. This is how you need to obey God. This is what you need to know about God. Or potentially, maybe even in a hard spot, maybe this is what God is showing us about himself. We have a responsibility, which none of us like to do, to say, you know what, I don't know everything. God, please teach me. But see, there's, there's a practical aspect of that too, is that we have to listen to people who are trying to teach us. And that is not always fun. I understand. I understand completely. That it is not always the most enjoyable thing to listen to parents, to obey parents, to listen to Sunday school teachers, or not even just those authorities, but if you're here tonight, you actually have, if, if you look around, there's quite a few people here that are older than young people. All right? Did I say that in a nice way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know what? We'll get to you guys in just a minute. But for the kids, every one of these adults in this room, God has taught them things in their lives. God has put them through situations. God has... has um, brought, has blessed them in certain ways. And you have a responsibility to have an attitude of learning from them. So even when it's testimony time, I think this is one of the coolest things that churches do because it's actually biblical. During testimony time, what's happening? People are sharing, hey, this is how God answered prayer. This is what God did this week in my life. Or maybe it's that God gave me this opportunity to talk to this coworker. Continue to pray. That's not just doodle time. And I like to doodle. All right? But that's not just time to like, oh, it's testimony time. Oh, whatever. I'm going to draw some pictures. This is what I got tonight. Um, I'm just kidding. This is from Brooklyn's like two weeks ago. That's a Bible marker right now. But so many times we as young people, we as young people, look at me. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I, I'd like to think I was young. <laughs> and then I start to move, and I'm like, oh, nope. <laughs> right? But many times young people think, oh, this isn't for me. This isn't the fun part. I'm, I'm here because I like the singing. I'm here for the candy <laughs> or whatever. But all of those opportunities are times for us to learn and to listen to what God's doing. I think it's one of the neatest things that God has given us is the fact that God works in our lives specifically so that we can pass that on. It's been really neat in, in my family's life. God has blessed us several times. There was a, a time we we were expecting Ellie, and we had a two no we had a, a 2005 Toyota Camry. It's a great car. We really liked that car. But every Sunday we would take people to church with us, and we're like, if we have two car seats in the back, this is not the most practical vehicle in the world for us. <laughs> So my wife and I started praying, like, Lord, we, we want to be good stewards. We don't have a lot of money, but we like the opportunity to take people to church with us, and that's just practically going to be impossible in this vehicle. And uh, so we were praying about it for a couple months, and then we went to one of our supporting churches, and uh, I was talking to the pastor, and he's like, hey, what do you got on your plate this week? I said, well, 
said God's, uh, God's kind of worked out the timing of it. We don't have a camp coming in until later on this week. We're going to go shopping for a van and just see what God would find for us. He goes, whoa, well, what kind of van? So, well, you know, this is the type that we were like. It would be a Toyota Sienna. There's a couple features of it that we really like. But whatever God gives us, he goes, okay, come with me. <clears throat> like, that's not how you end that sentence. <clears throat> we walked down. He said, literally, a week ago, somebody pulled into our church parking lot and said, hey, can you just give this van to one of your missionaries? We don't need it anymore. It wasn't a Toyota Sienna, but it was a terrific van that God gave us. That's a testimony that we can now share. Hey, my kids have financial needs. Even specifically right now, I'm taking a trip next month. And one of the things, Brooklyn would really like to go with me. Uh, it would be an opportunity to drop her off at grandparents' house while I go and do work for a couple days on the East Coast. And we were looking at it and we're like, boy, tickets are like way more than when I was a kid. <laughs> All right? Even like last year. Um, and uh, we were just like, Brooklyn, we just don't have the money for something like this. <gasps> you know what we need to do? So last night we, we were at bedtime, snuck into Brooklyn's room as she was laying there, huh? What? Because it hit me later because I'm not the quickest teacher and parent. Hey, Brooklyn, you know what we need to do? We should pray and ask God if he'll provide the money for that. Because, you know what? God gave us a van. Even when that van died, God actually gave us $17,000 to get our new van. God can do that stuff, Brooklyn. Why don't we just pray that God will provide that if he wants you to go? Now, I'm having an opportunity to invest in my kid using the testimonies and things that God's given me. I'm way ahead of my notes here. All right. So for the kids, you need to be willing to learn. You need to be willing to listen. The things that, that older people are sharing is not just because they want to talk. It's because they're giving glory to God, which is the same thing you should be learning about. And we know that because in the Bible, that's exactly how God tells us that we're supposed to teach and train the next generation and the next generation. Um, I'm going to use two illustration passages. You can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, but I'm going to use two illustration passages here. Um, one of them is in uh, Joshua chapter 24. This is the end of Joshua's life. This is the passage we all know. In fact, you may even have it hanging in your house. The verse that says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. You know, Joshua chapter 24 uh, at, the end of the uh, at the end of the chapter there. But through all of Joshua chapter 24, something's happening. In verse 1, it says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the, fa the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham, and it just continues there. And it, Joshua just recounts the history of God's leading the children of Israel from all the way from Abraham, all the way through their captivity in Egypt, all the way through their wilderness journey to right now. What is he, what is he doing? He's reminding them who God is. He's reminding them what God has done. In Psalm chapter 78, uh, the psalmist says this, he says, Give ear, O my people, to the law, 
Incline your ears to the word of my mouth, and I will open my mouth in a parable. Verse 4, he says, And will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. And the rest of Psalm chapter 78 is a continuation of what God has done in the life of Israel and how he's protected them and how he's provided them. So now we get to those of us who are not the younger people. We have a responsibility. And this isn't just to our own kids. In fact, the children of Israel that Joshua calls together, he only, only a few of those were his kids. The rest of them were the other couple million Israelites. The psalmist is writing this to really whoever is listening in, in Israel. And what are they doing? They're faithfully proclaiming who God is and teaching specifically, they both say, to the next generation. You know, we have a lot of, in a way, piggy banks running around our nation. You see them all over the place. You see them walking down the road, skateboarding down the road, um, what is it, scootering. Today we were driving in from, from the Lynn's house and there were a couple kids on the side of the road. I guess they were riding like power scooters or something. Like, yeah, there's like motors on those like scooters that terrify me to death to even stand on. And they're like, you know, going like it's crazy. You see them at Walmart. You see them everywhere. The schools are filled with them. At least they should be. All right. And what they are is they are, let's change the word from piggy bank, to an opportunity to invest. And if we start looking at those hoodlums, it's not a bother, or dare I use the phrase from this morning, sandpaper people in our lives. But we look at them as, hey, you know what? Right now, that's a piggy bank that doesn't have a lot in it. That's a piggy bank that the investment has been fairly minimum at this point in their life. I want to take an opportunity. And I want to take the, the privilege to invest in the next generation. Why is it that it seems our churches, generation after generation after generation, start moving more away from the fundamentals of God's word? Start moving more and more away from the, the grounding of it's God's word first and feelings don't matter? It's because no one has taken the opportunity to say, you know what? Let me teach you. Let me go back and tell you who God is and what God has done. And the more we learn about God, the closer we are going to be to him. And let's even learn how to love him more. So for all of us, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to invest and to teach them. But it's not just a responsibility. I mean, it's actually a commandment. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's a passage, and I, I don't remember if, if the Hebrews call it the Shema. Um, there's, there's some word that they use for this in, in the Hebrew education. But this is God specifically giving instructions to all of the families, and he gives them some pretty clear guidelines for what he would like them to do. He says this, he says, verse 5, he says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart. All right, so for all of us, we have a responsibility to love God with all of our being, to serve him 
and to remember that. And then, verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest down in thine house, and when thou walkest in thy way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy head, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house. I think most of us would understand what the word diligently means. It means with much effort, with a concentrated work toward. But what Moses was illustrating here to them is he's telling them, this is what diligently means when it talks about training your kids and being an investment in someone's life. Basically, when you stand up, when you sit down, when you lie down, when you're walking, those are the times that you're supposed to be talking about God. Now, I am not the smartest person in the room, far from the smartest person in the world, but I can't think of another time in life when I'm not doing one of those things. Sleeping, sitting, walking, talking, standing up. That pretty much covers it. So what Moses is teaching us is that we have a responsibility to be investing all of the time. It's not a Sunday and Wednesday thing. It's not an occasional once a month good deed thing. It's not my volunteer hours thing. We're to be living a life that is continually pointing back to I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my might. The things that I work for, they're for the glory of God. The things that I seek after, they're for the glory of God. The things that I surround myself with, they're for the glory of God. I have a responsibility to teach, to love the Lord, my God, all of the time. It's interesting to me how much kids pick up through what seems like osmosis. (laughs) You know, Um, do you have that phrase that you say that you hate that you say, but you say it anyway? You remember the first time your kid said it? Where did you hear that from? (laughs) Oh, me? Yeah. My dad's phrase was, I I grew up with one brother. We fought a lot. He's six years older than me, so it was more of a one-sided fight, kind of like a punching bag. uh, But I apologize to him later. He's he's over it now. But many times growing up, I would hear this phrase, boys, I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. I remember, I hated that phrase. I'll give you something to cry about. I'll give you something to cry about. I still remember when I first said that to Brooklyn. I'll give you something. Oh, no! I am my father. Or there are times specifically that I'll laugh and my wife will look at me and she'll say, Papa. And I'm like, I am. My dad never sat me down and said, all right, now, Jonathan. That's what my parents call me. They're the only people in the world that call me that. Jonathan, 
Now let's go over the lesson, phrases that frustrate your kids. All right. So we're going to start with some simple ones. All right. And no, there was never a dedicated time of that. There was never a dedicated time that my dad's like, all right, now, this is how you tell a dad joke. This is how you dad laugh. All right. So how did I learn those things? Because that's part of who my dad is. Because that's what my dad does. Because that's just, that's what comes out of his mouth. That's how he laughs. And I never remember a time sitting down and thinking, all right, laugh, start, guttural, go up to high pitch. Okay, okay, I got dad laugh down. But I imitate it all the time, don't I? Well, I mean, you guys don't know that. (laughs) You can ask my wife. I imitate it all the time. That's diligently. That's what it means when it says, when thou risest up, when thou sittest down, when thou walkest in the way, and when they lie down. It's just as part of who you are. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. The decisions that I make in the way that I talk to my family, the decisions that I make in the job that I have, the decisions that I make, even when I treat my coworkers. Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind? Because that's where people see it. I, I don't know how many, if anybody in this room works together, but most of your coworkers don't see you at church on Sunday. <laughs> so they, they're not getting that opportunity to truly believe and learn that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind at church. <clears throat> now why? This is actually the real point of the message. That was all introduction. And I, I was going to say we'll be shorter tonight than we were this morning. This morning we got out just a little after 12, so I think if we're done by 11.30, we'll be good. <clears throat> All right. So, why do we need to teach them? Why is it that we need to be so diligent in learning young people from the right type of people? The Bible actually has something very clear to say about this, too. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 13, it talks about this woman. She's called foolishness. It says, a foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth in the door of the house and in the seat of the high place in the city to call to the passengers who go right on their ways. One of the first reasons that I think we need to be so diligent in teaching and living our love for God and learning a love for God is because there are influences that will teach the young people of this world and the young people of this church if we don't. Where does it say that that this foolish woman is? She's clamorous. The, the word clamorous, the only like picture I can come up with in my mind is a one-man band. <laughs> you know, the, the accordion, the harmonica, the drums on the back that you kick your leg out and it's boom, 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 bram, boom, bram, boom. That's that idea of clamorous. It's just noisy. You can't miss it. It's like a flashing neon sign. It says, hey, come this way. Head over here. We've got foolishness to go around. And what happens to young people with no direction? Oh, okay. Sure. Proverbs chapter 8, it talks about a simple man. And he goes to a very dangerous woman. It says that he's led like sheep to the slaughter. Because they're just looking for somebody to invest. <laughs> and Satan has a lot of clamorous things out there. 
that are going to distract the minds of our young people, that are going to take the youth of this church and move them away from God. We have, and there is an influencer who is working hard to influence them and teach them if we don't. Second one, I think this is really interesting. I think all of this is really interesting. So we need to work hard to teach them, be diligent in teaching them, because our enemy is pretty smart. Satan's no dummy. You know, that we say there's, there's nothing new under the sun. Satan's been using the same tactics for thousands of years to draw people away from Christ. In some way, that's what makes the Bible so amazing. Because we can go back and say, Satan's using the same tactics right here. God wrote this down for us today. In fact, there's a king by the name of Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18. Hezekiah was in a bit of a pickle. The Syrians were coming down and they were getting to destroy Israel. And Hezekiah right, um, was being confronted by three messengers from the king of Syria. And one of them's name was the name of Rabshakeh. All right. It's not, I don't know why when I was reading, I'm like, Rabshakeh, isn't there a rapper named that? Like, I can just picture it like somebody like, yo, my name's Rabshakeh. I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I know I'm too light to do that. Uh, but Rabshakeh is coming to the children of Israel and they are falling apart because Syria is a massive world power. All right. And Judah actually, sorry, is not. All right. And so Rabshakeh is the voice of the king of Syria coming to them. And I think it's really interesting, the pattern that he uses to discourage the children of Israel from fighting against him. It says, And Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language. In fact, just a couple verses before this, Rabshakeh was talking to uh, some of the other messengers from, from Judah. And they're like, yeah, sorry, we don't understand you. We don't speak Syrian. So what is it that Rabshakeh does? He comes and he says, hey, I'm going to speak in a language you guys understand. Doesn't Satan do that? Guys, you ever, you ever like try to have a conversation with your wife and you feel like we are not talking the same language? You know, every one of those TV shows that are geared towards our wives and their thinkings, they talk their language. They're, they're, they're put together in a way that speaks directly to them, to our youth. I, I run a camp, and I still don't understand teenagers. Some of the things that they do, I mean, okay, so you guys are having a text battle. Early. That's not a thing, all right? Yeah, they were five feet away from each other. There were no words verbally exchanged during that. I don't understand that. Yeah. Oh no, battery's dead. I have to get the last word. No! But you know what? Satan understands that. He understands the language that they need to speak. He understands the amount of entertainment that the young people need. And he knows how to take that entertainment that they like, that cartoon show, and how to speak it in their language. You know what? You know more than mom and dad. You know what? All of this that you see around you happen by chance. And it's specific attacks written and spoken in the language of the people who understand. Men, we face it too. Hey, remember the freedom that you had before you got married? Remember the, re, remember the dreams 
that you always wanted to accomplish? Boy, your family's holding you back. If you only had a little more time to yourself. Satan knows the language that we speak. That's just the first part of the verse. We've got more to go here. (laughs) And he spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the, uh, the king, Let not Hezekiah, who's Hezekiah? It was their king. The people that he's talking to. Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of your hand. What is the attack here? It's not just said in a language they understand, but really the attack is coming. Rabshakeh is saying, hey, listen, the authority that you have in your life, they don't know everything. You know, that mom and dad, they're old school. They don't understand this modern world. They don't understand the pressures that you're under. And it's a direct attack against the earthly authority that God had put them under. But not only that, there's a, uh, if we continue on, it says, For he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand, neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord shall surely come and deliver us, and this city shall not be uh, delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. What's that last attack? There's an attack that's said in a language that they understand because their enemy is smart. There's an attack that says, hey, the authorities that God's put into your life, they don't know everything, right? There there are some people out here, we know more. That's why God actually puts a really big emphasis on making sure we trust and honor our parents. And then he even talks a lot in the Old Testament about the responsibility that parents have in in their children's obedience, but not just that. He doesn't stop there and he says, oh yeah, and by the way, don't even let Hezekiah convince you that God is going to do this. Because he's probably going to come to you and say, listen, guys, I don't have the answer, which is exactly what Hezekiah had done. He came and he said, guys, I don't have the answer. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray. He got the people together and they prayed together. And our enemy is smart. If he can make us understand if he can make us distrust our authority and even distrust God, then he's going to win. Now, I encourage you, read the rest of 2 Kings 18. It's an amazing story, and there's even better names than Rabshakeh in there. <clears throat> All right. But the last one, very quickly, is if we don't take the responsibility to invest, and we don't take the responsibility to pour into the people around us, Not only is there someone who will, and they're smart, but their goal is to destroy. 1 Peter 5, 8, we know it. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking who he can get to join his club. And if they get a members-only jacket into the Satan club, then they will just be worthless. No, that's not, that's not Satan's goal for my kids. When I look at my kids and I remember that Satan wants to utterly destroy them. That's a motivation right there. That's, that, for me, is motivation to be the dad I'm supposed to be. That's the motivation that gets me to come home from work and say, boy, I would really like to sit in my chair. But I just I need to spend some time with my girls, and we go and play <clears throat> action figures. 
This is my message. <laughs> or Legos. Yeah, <laughs> Barbies. But I have a G.I. Joe that's like a big, so it's all good. But when I remember that those kids that are around my neighborhood, which for me it's my kids and my buddy is Mike's kids, that God has an ultimate goal for them, and it's their absolute destruction. He wants them to not only be worthless in life, he wants to destroy them. He wants nothing good for them. Boy, it takes me back to something I heard this morning. Now, do I love the people that God loves? Do I understand that, hey, this is actually an opportunity to invest? Really quick, we'll close with our object lesson here. Olaf is filled with money. One of the things that we, we've done in the past is whenever my parents come out to visit, we'll empty Olaf and Sky. Brooklyn has a Sky piggy bank. And we count out all the coins, or you know, they have the things you can dump the coins into, and it gives you the cash money for it, that type of stuff. <laughs> and, and one of the things that has happened is we'll empty Olaf or we'll empty Sky, which is Brooklyn's, and it'll be like $32 worth of change. And we're like, that's almost grand theft right there. <laughs> and then we empty Olaf, and it's like $11.14, plus a couple washers, some pretty gems, um, little things like that. And then what, what's the comment that comes? Well, how come mine's not worth as much? You didn't put as much value into it. Really, I mean, that's that's all a piggy bank does is it doesn't grow interest, you know? It, it it's, it's just the dividend of whatever the investment is. And so we have an opportunity, and I won't do it just for sake of time. I've, I've filled Olaf up with some money here. The things that the world wants to teach, they still may have value. Mathematics has value. But it's like putting some pennies in, just pumping pennies in, all right? And it's happening all the time. We talked about it, I think, the last time I was here. Your kids spend something like 14 to 1,600 hours a year in school, right? And, and probably five to 600 hours in front of the television in the course of a year, right? And time with their parents, if they eat dinner together, maybe 100 hours in a year. Time in church, 150 hours if they're at, you know, three services a week. So pennies are kind of always going in there. Sometimes it's not even pennies. Sometimes it's washer or wrapped up paper that's just filling it. Has absolutely no value to it. But what are the things that are real value? You can go back to the book of Proverbs and see it continually through that. Get wisdom. My son, get wisdom. Where do you find wisdom? Oh yeah, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where you're pumping the real money in. That's where you're pumping the real value in. Because again, the bank is just the dividend of the investment that I've made into it. So at the end of its life, when or the end of its, and Olaf has had some close calls. When it gets emptied, pull the cork. What's in there? And maybe you'll see it when they grow up. When they start making decisions on their own. Hey, all right, let's see the man that I raised you to be. That is a horrible decision. What are you doing? Oh, yeah, it's because I kind of filled you with pretty paper. 
I didn't put anything of real value in there. I didn't teach you to love God, did I? I didn't teach you that God will provide for you. And so when you have needs, trust him. Don't trust the financial system. Hmm. When you start seeing the bank emptied, see what's in there, I think we're all going to be in for some conviction. You start seeing that of like, so I want us to take the challenge. Teach them diligently. It, it may not be your own kids. It may just be the kids in this church that are the, the bank that you get to invest in. Maybe the kids in your neighborhood. Maybe you even would, God would put the burden on your heart to look around in the community and say, wow, we don't have any kind of Bible club for the kids. Or maybe we do. I, I don't know. But maybe I'm looking at my time thinking, my time is pretty valuable to me. Meanwhile, Satan's out there saying, yes, your time is valuable to you. Keep that. Work on that. Develop that love for self. Meanwhile, it's going to be pumping some stuff into these kids here. Don't even worry about it. I'm going to take care of them. They're in a good school. <laughs> so who are we letting put, it, put investment in? For me particularly, as I mentioned, as a dad, this is a real challenge that God's been working on my heart this year, of saying, am I a passive father who expects to have kids who actively serve God when they grow up? It's not going to happen. Because there's too many other things teaching them to not serve God and to serve themselves. Am I a person who just looks around a community that looks around uh, young people and I'm just frustrated with, oh, these kids need to pull their pants up? <clears throat> you know, Or do I say, you know what? These kids need somebody who's going to love them. These kids need somebody who's going to invest in them. One of the things that my wife and I were telling John and Ashley at, uh, at lunch, it's an easy yes for us to come to this church. Whenever, whatever we can do to help Pastor Lynn and to help this church, because this is a church full of investors. Because every time that we've been here, we see kids that are being brought to church. We see kids that are being talked to at church. They're not just like running around, terrorizing it. It's... There are people who are actively investing. We can't stop that. And I know it's tiring. But the moment that we let up, we have now created an opening for pennies. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the challenge of your word. 